It's time for the number one talk show of Eastern Connecticut and Southern Rhode Island. The Stu Breyer Potpourri Talk Show on 1310 WICH. Now, here's Stu Breyer. Welcome back to our program. We certainly hear a lot about artificial intelligence and uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And uh, we have an author, Angela Radcliffe, who has a critically acclaimed book. And it's um, simple terms that discuss how it's applied. And uh, let's find out what Angela has to say. Hi. Welcome. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me on today, Stu. It is my pleasure. We hear a lot about AI all the time. But it seems like um, through through the years, it is just slowly getting into our minds, uh, artificial intelligence. Because we've heard other times, for instance, we'd hear a political, see a political com- commercial and they would dub in somebody else's face or not. But now it's really evolved. So exactly what is it? Mm, it's such a, a great question. And I think uh, sort of your your average uh, human is trying to get uh, their arms around what artificial intelligence is. And I, the best way to think about it is um, artificial intelligence is the output of knowledge that humans have put into systems. So, you know, we've been putting our knowledge, our information into systems for years. We've been saying, um, hey, app on my phone, uh, I'll let you follow me around and know everything you need to know about me. You know where I'm going every day. Uh, you know the things that I'm buying online. Um, and then, of course, you know, that's just sort of the everyday domain of information we're feeding into systems. And then, of course, in our corporate environments, in our school environments, we're feeding other types of information into systems. And what's happened over the last few years, particularly over the last two years, is we've unlocked the ability for those machines to read all of that data and information at an exponential rate and then feed back to us in ways we can understand that information into knowledge. So instead of having to read a very long, extensive brochure about health, for example, now we can ask a very simple question and the machines can distill that down into something very, very understandable for us. But of course, as you pointed out, there are lots of uh, dimensions to this topic and, and we can go all over the place. So where do you want to start? <laughs> that's a great that's a great question in itself. So I just want to understand this. So all the data that's in artificial intelligence comes from us. Some things that we've said or asked or you know, we often hear, well, you know, that artificial intelligence is going to come up with a cure that we couldn't have come up with, but it's something mm-hmm. that we've already come up with and didn't realize it? You know, that's such a great question. So to answer your first, um, the first part, absolutely. Uh, all the data that is fed into these systems, it comes from us, from humans, and that has a number of uh, advantages and pitfalls, and we can get into that um, in a little bit of depth because I think it's incredibly important. If you understand data, then you understand AI. And I think that's uh, just a basic foundational connection people tend to miss. But when people say, oh, AI can find this cure we've never found before, and this is a you know passion area for me because my background is in clinical research, mm-hmm. it's because when we feed information that scientists have, and they hold this in things called lab notebooks, when we feed that information into systems that have artificial intelligence models to read that data in new ways, 
what it can do is it can discover connections between potentially disparate points of data and connect them. And because it can do that at scale, it can look at hundreds of thousands, even millions of data points in the time that it would take years for a human scientist to do that. It can discover these unique connections or relationships that we wouldn't have found if not uh, for that sort of machine intelligence and that scale that computers bring. So do you think this is going to take jobs away from people? <laughs> That's such a popular question, and I, I love to always direct people back to the time when the automobile was introduced. And, you know, of course, uh, people who drove horse carriages were concerned that suddenly those drivers wouldn't have work, and, and the people who maintained those carriages wouldn't have work, and, you know, who would raise and feed the horses, and all of that, right? Um, we're at an interesting, different tipping point here, which is, when the automobile was introduced, maybe some of those jobs went away, but whole new jobs sprung up and even more jobs. So suddenly we had people who had to manufacture cars and make the parts for cars and maintain those cars and drive those cars. Um, so, so I think we're in a similar situation. And I do think people should be thinking about what the impact might be on their career, but it's not going to be as sweeping and dramatic and instant as people think. There are whole industries changing already because of artificial intelligence. <laughs> Excuse me, but jobs are not likely to disappear overnight. So obviously there are, there are some bad people that want to take advantage of this and they can interfere with elections and all kinds of things and make make it look like one person has said something and they haven't really said that. How do we protect ourselves, Angela, from that? Mm -hmm. That is the most pressing question, I think, of our time in this space. Um, we are in an age of misinformation, and now we are in an age where that misinformation can spread incredibly quickly, and artificial intelligence only empowers that. So a couple of things have to happen, and uh, one of the reasons I wrote my book for kids, Quantum Kids, Guardians of AI, I wrote it because we really need to be teaching even our youngest uh, citizens how they can be active, ethical participants in the AI revolution. So that includes things like understanding that AI can present misinformation, that AI doesn't always tell the truth, that the data that we're putting into this system has far-reaching ramifications that we, we haven't um, ever seen before. Uh, there was a really interesting um, PSA going around in Europe that showed the impact of the data that we as parents are placing online about our children and how later that could be used to harm our children. So really innocuous things until we understand the connection between that data and how we're putting it out and sort of the long-term consequence, um, you know, that's step one. So getting people literate and understanding the connection between the data we're putting in and what now can be done with that data, that impact, it's, it's pretty critical. And of course, the other thing is we are at a point in this world where we have to start to think about the implications of the fact that we as humans have largely given up ownership of our data. So I don't know how many times a day, week, or month you've clicked that I accept button when you've downloaded an app onto your, mm -hmm. your phone, yes. right? But nobody reads those terms and conditions. Nobody knows what we're, um, what we're saying yes to. 
but we're saying yes to a lot more than we think. And so getting literate on that and, and sort of our right and responsibility around our own data and the ownership of that, that is really step one. Okay, so, the, the you know, in layman's terms, the bottom line is uh, we need to know whether it's fake or it's real. And that's uh, not easy, is it? No, it's not easy. And look, there are systems out now that are helping us sort of discern the deep fakes that we all hear about. And I do want to to sort of bring us to a pragmatic place, which is there's definitely a spectrum of how people see AI and how people are going to use AI. You know, you have people who are all the way on the optimist end of the spectrum. They believe that amazing things are going to happen. Like we might solve major social issues with artificial intelligence, like climate change or like, um, you know, like uh, finding that new drug that we talked about, right, that could cure cancer finally. And then there are people on the complete other end of the spectrum. Those are the people that I would consider alarmists. You know, people who think the world will end, that the Terminator, you know, 2 movie will become a reality, um, and that is sort of where we'll land. But I think we need to be pragmatic and somewhere in between um, because it's really important that we start to take some ownership over the unintended consequences that could be created in this time. And I think, um, you know, as much as, as much as we'd like to think that there are all, going to be all good actors, we know there are a lot of bad actors out there. And so just learning how to spot those bad actors, becoming vigilant, and again, sort of getting that basic literacy. When you say, hey, do you know what machine learning is? A lot of people don't know. When you say, hey, uh, the machines are trained by models, a lot of people don't know what that model is or what that means. If you say, hey, you know, how do you understand what ethics and AI are? which is sort of the question you're asking. Um, I think we do have to sort of approach it as if we're all children to this subject. And so I think using analogies that make it accessible. For example, ethics in AI, is, is it helps to think about it like deciding the fair rules for a game so everyone enjoys playing. Um, right? So we need to, to come up with analogies that help people connect to the information instead of just saying, you know, you guys have to get your arms around this artificial intelligence thing. And Stu, I'm wondering, you know, where do you fall on that spectrum I put out? Are you are you more towards the optimist or the uh, the alarmist end of the spectrum? I would say I'm, I'm a bit of a pessimist, although I can see the advantages of it, because I, I'm just thinking getting into the world uh, situation, dictators in the wrong hands, um, who knows where it could lead. And I understand, certainly, if we can cure things, through it that that's a marvelous thing it's like the good the bad and the ugly that's that's where i am that's why i want to talk to you i want to learn more about it yeah listen i think that we have more to gain than to lose out of artificial intelligence Mm -hmm. but we have a call to action to all sort of really understand what's going on here and so most people's interaction with ai has been through either experiencing seeing ai do something that kind of is a little scary, right, like a deep fake, or it's through the introduction of, you know, what has become a household name, ChatGPT. And ChatGPT can be used in really amazing everyday ways, and it can be used also in really nefarious ways. But my one sort of piece of advice to people is start trying some of these tools until you actually ask a question 
of an, an artificial intelligence model like OpenAI's ChatGPT, I don't think people really have a sense for the impact. So my husband is a firefighter, mm-hmm. and I was trying to show him how he could use artificial intelligence to help him shape a training program for the the you know different members in the the fire company, and until he realized that by asking a few simple questions, he could get back a Pennsylvania certified, you know, sort of approved curriculum, completely outlined with all the sun themes and the the ways to measure firefighters against that proficiency, et cetera. He could get that in minutes, and then he could take that as a starting point to tailor for his company. He didn't really understand the power behind AI. And so I think until we get our hands dirty with mm-hmm. use cases, you know, situations that are, are uh, valuable to us, we aren't going to really understand what we're up against. So I would say that's the very first step for most people is try it out with something very simple. And that's a great way to start you know, experimenting and learning. Our nature is to be, uh, through the years, kind of gullible anyway, that uh, you know somebody, whether it's the media or it's a politician, and uh, you oh, yeah, then that must be right. So uh, now we connect it to... AI and you really shouldn't be a gullible and it might be easier to catch people who are gullible and you think that we are our nature is sometimes very gullible anyway yeah you know one of the activities that I uh, put in the book was a blooper it was an accident um, mm-hmm. and, and again this is a workbook for children so um, so just keep that in mind as I describe this uh, this little activity but the I, I had created a number of uh, pictures, images for the book using artificial intelligence tools. And one of the pictures is of a skate park. And, you know, it's kids in the skate park skating around, and it's context for the story about these kids. And I put it in the book, and it wasn't until many, many versions of editing that I realized that that tool had put a skateboard under both feet of one of the kids in the picture. Uh-huh. And I... I wasn't looking for it. I, you know, I asked for a picture of a kids in a skate park. I got it. I didn't look at it too closely because I thought, oh, well, you know, it's a kids in a skate park. And when I discovered that, I decided instead of making it a picture in the book, I decided to make it one of the activities in the book. And I asked kids to see if they could spot what was different or odd or off about the picture. And that was really fortuitous that that happened because it proved to me yet again that until we teach people how to discern what is real and what isn't, mm-hmm. um, you know, we are going to be uh, gullible and and sort of at the mercy of what the, the machines are telling us. And so I think even using simple activities like that um, to, to detect when AI AI, it's sort of like a child. It just wants to give you the answer you want, and sometimes it'll make up an answer to please you, which sounds like a little scary and interesting um, because I'm talking sort of human emotion here. Like, what do you mean the machine wants to please me? (laughs) But the machine is really designed to be able to be helpful and give you answers. So because of that, sometimes it's going to give you a wrong answer, and we have to learn how to discern a wrong answer from a right answer and it's going to be very easy for people to start to rely on these systems and what they say and just take it as fact so well it's obviously really the critical. wave of the future so we need to learn as much as we can someone has a question for you you have a question for angela yeah 
Am I on the air? Yeah, hi there. Okay, hi, Sue. I can barely hear you. Um, Angela, thank you. You're making some excellent points. Um, I kind of side with Stu a little bit on the, on the pessimism side of the house, and I hate to say that because I think of myself as a pretty progressive thinking person, but one of the things that um, I'd like to hear you comment on is, you know, you're talking from the angle of people who want to do good and want uh, society as a whole and the human race to benefit from AI, but as many of us uh, out there that want to do good for society, there are just as many that want to do evil, and I mean downright evil, and would you comment on what you think the role uh, of uh, government regulation uh, should be and should have been up to now, because I fear that it's going to be a little bit too, too little too late. AI is really nothing new. It's just we're all getting accustomed to the phrase as it, as it encroaches or as it becomes a greater part of our life. But artificial intelligence has been around for decades. It's, it's just growing. And are we, is the, the horse already out of the barn? especially when we think of people who want to do evil. So right. could you comment on those comments for me? Thank you, Kevin. Appreciate it. All right, yeah, there's absolutely. a good question. Yeah, it's a, it's a good, meaty question. Uh, first of all, I think even progressive people, uh, progressively thinking people are very uh, a bit intimidated and, and should be aptly concerned about AI. And you bring a really important point up. I think the answer is yes. Our regulators are behind uh you know, behind a little bit in in this situation, and and for some in some ways, that's a good thing. In that, this has become such an emergent issue that regulators know if they don't catch up soon, it's going to be too late. Um, so again, it sort of reinforces the importance of of you know becoming sort of citizen data scientists and really taking some ownership as humans over this. We can't count on the regulators to put the right things in place. And quite frankly, if you look at sort of the negative effects and how those nefarious people have used things like social media to harm, you know, our world, when people created social media, they didn't think of the unintended consequences and regulators didn't think of the unintended consequences. So I think it's up to all of us to know that, yes, the regulators aren't going to come and save us here and we are going to have to do something to protect ourselves. And the final thing I'll, I'll say in sort of an answer to your question is, we should use artificial intelligence to uh, to work against the bad guys. Uh, you know, everything bad that can be done, good can can you know overcome that. So we need people who are committed to ethical, smart use of AI, who are out there trying to break the models and figure out how we will overcome some of the very real challenges we will see from bad actors. Can this help uh, police that are looking for a particular criminal? They have a name or so, and they would ask uh, artificial intelligence who may come up with some things that they would never find. Uh, is that something that's uh, relatable to uh, AI? I think we're we're not there yet sort of on the individual level. So, yes, there are um, algorithms that exist out there for different use cases like potentially helping to connect, say, DNA from one crime to another crime, right? And that's a machine that's matching that up. Mm -hmm. But we're not at a personalized level at scale where somebody could just write, hey, did Stu Breyer, you know, steal that candy bar from the, the store down there? Um, 
and uh, suddenly come back with information about you specifically. And sometimes it'll even come up with completely, again, false information about you. I, you know, I've been positioned as a very interesting world leader occasionally uh, by AI. Right? So I think um, we're not there yet, but we will get there. And so we do have to be vigilant about our, our personal data and where we're putting it. It was probably a, a Milky Way. I really like Milky Ways. Uh, Angela, <laughs> I'm a Three Musketeers kind of a girl. So oh, yeah, I that's you. a good one, too. Angela Radcliffe uh, has this book, Quantum Kids, Guardians of AI, Artificial Intelligence, which um, yeah, I wanted to ask you this question before I... To, by the way, folks, if you have another question, we can get one in, 895-252. And that is, uh, we have Alexa, and, the, you know, those gizmos, and, I, and we ask them questions now. Would we get a machine that we can just talk to and like we do with uh, those other things that we have now? Very much. Alexa is just a tool of artificial intelligence. Um, you know, she's what we call conversational AI, same with Siri or, you know, the Google equivalent. Um, these are really some of our earliest uh, uses of conversational artificial intelligence. And so we're all quite attuned to speaking to these devices, and that's only going to increase. I think we will eventually have machines that do certain things for us. You won't, uh, you know, you won't go to the grocery store. You will simply ask your refrigerator for, for that milk, and magically that will appear through the, you know, the power of our very connected uh, Internet of Things. Um, but I think Alexa is a great, uh, you know, another great way to sort of think about what is AI actually? Well, it's as simple as when you ask Alexa to do something, her answer to you is based on an algorithm, a model that has looked at a ton of data and has discerned how to make a connection between what you're asking and the true context of the answer you're looking for. That's really at its most basic core. AI has learned how to discern that a king can mean a leader of a world, but it also can mean a card and, you know, and other things, right? Or a bat is an animal or a bat is something we use to play a game. And so AI has just become very sophisticated in that way. And, and Alexa's and these other voice assistants are great examples of that. So we've got the machine already. We already have the machine and we've been using them for a while now. Mm-hmm. So it's just getting more advanced all the time, the more data, data that's in it. How about when you see something like uh, online and you see uh, someone with the same face as somebody else and they're doing something hideous to get somebody in trouble? How does that all work? Yeah, unfortunately, AI can do some really realistic things now, and we're lucky that there are, are tools that are starting to emerge that will help us detect that type of fake, you know, deep mm -hmm. fake. Um, but right now, um, you know, the, the hope is that, again, the good eclipses the bad actors. We have to be aware that they're out there. I think more and the more and more hands-on you can get with these, this, these tools, these scenarios, the better you can prepare yourself. But... There's currently not much to be done. I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but there's not currently much to be done about some of those nefarious deep fakes that are being used. Well, this year, uh, Angela, of course, is an election year, and uh, should mm -hmm. we be concerned that artificial intelligence can really disrupt it? I think we should be concerned, um, and I don't think it's just artificial intelligence, right, that could disrupt it. There's a 
a number of different things that are at play here. But the fact that um, there are much easier ways to create and disseminate knowledge from information, again, people believe a lot of misinformation out mm -hmm. there, and AI will only enhance that because it speeds the ability for someone to make something very believable, to, to even back it up with what looks like facts that may not exist. So, yeah, I'm, I'm a little nervous uh, going into this election cycle for sure to see sort of what some of those those consequences and what, what that's going to look like. So your book uh, addresses it for kids and adults because we certainly all need to learn it. At what age is it appropriate to start to... Uh, put in some information with the kids about this stuff? I mean, we don't want to give them too much too soon, or what does your book That's say? That's right. Yeah, my, so my book is really targeted for kids sort of between the ages of 6 and 16. Only you know your child best. It depends on, on you know what their interest in literacy level is already, but it's not too soon to you know provide information to kids. And the, the reason I created the book the way I did, and I think there's a misnomer that you know, because it's a book about artificial intelligence, it's going to be all sorts of activities related to doing stuff online. But in fact, you know, our kids are at a place where they can be taught things like magic tricks to teach them quantum entanglement, or they can do, you know, things like, um, they can do things like uh, scavenger hunts to help them understand how artificial intelligence connects dots on things. And so the book really is a combination of a story that's suited for kids probably in that middle grade range, right? I, you know, I wrote it with my daughter in mind. She's now 12. Um, but I'm finding that actually the most uh, enthusiastic audience for the book are even senior citizens. So people over the age of 70 are really getting a lot because they're being left out of the conversation completely. And, and I think that that's really unfortunate. Okay, there's just one th a little thing I'm confused with, Angela. So, okay, so we have Alexa. For instance, when you got that information, I think, for your husband about, who's a fireman, is that correct? Yes, that's right. And you got that, did you get it from something like uh, Alexa, or was there other, uh, some other machine? I got that it from ChatGPT. So on everyone's computer now, on the Internet, you can get access to a number of different tools. Most people are familiar with Google, so I'll, I'll use that as an example. Google has a tool called, called Bard. It's free, um, Bard like, a, like Shakespeare. Um, and, and you can go and you can ask it a question. And I think what people are starting to understand is when you ask that question, um, it's not like asking a search engine because it's looking at a much larger body of knowledge. They're called large language models, so they've, they've looked at you know, terabytes, even petabytes of data. And this data that is, is feeding it can feed back information in formats that are different than, hey, here's a list of websites to visit. Now it can feed back whole things for you. But the trick is learning how to do what we call prompt. So how do you know how to ask a question to get the answer that you're looking for? And so if, if I wanted to create a training program, as I did for my husband, I asked Google Bard or ChatGPT, that, hey, I'd like to create a training program. This is who the training program's for. I'd like to make sure that it is relevant for this state. I'd like to make sure that it covers these topics. And instead of just getting some links back, it was able to write that program for me. And then I can ask it follow-up questions to make it even better. 
So that already exists. Anyone has access to it. Um, the two most popular ones right now are Google Bard and OpenAI's ChatGPT. And then, of course, Anthropic has one called Claude. Um, and they're free versions of all of these tools. This is very fascinating, Angela. Uh, you know, uh, a lot of people, you know, the Alexa tube, they're, they're a little concerned that maybe um, they're taking in information when she's not turned on or when she, that we don't want to get out somewhere else. Um, we're going to, do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, that, you know, maybe, uh, for example, you're having just a chat with your, yeah. you know, partner in your room and suddenly, um, you know, things appear that, that you're like, Somebody hey, is, well, uh, having a conversation know, about going to Italy? Snooping on our private oh. life and um, should we be more aware of this now? We should be aware of this. I think, um, look, there's, there, there's been a whole engine, a marketing engine for many years that has been working to use what we call our real world data. So things like our purchasing behavior or what we say or put into machines um, to make some decisions for us about what we might like. And these mm -hmm. things called recommender engines, right? They, they're helpful in some ways. You know, they help you decide, do you want blue shoes or red shoes from this, <laughs> you know, online store and what size do you need? And maybe, you know, this is the style you'd like those shoes in. But now recommender engines are much, much more advanced. And so it isn't coincidence that when you search online uh, for, you know, traveling to Italy, that Alexa later on might say something to you about Italy um, because all of those electronic uh, data yeah, docs are being yeah. connected. Mm -hmm. Just like with your emails, sometimes, you know, you look, you do a search for something, and then, boom, you get pop up all of these people with uh, different companies. So I, I got scared one day. I, I was mad at Alexa, and I said something crossed to her, and she said, that's not very nice, Stu. It freaked me right out. <laughs> so, my it's, friend, it's a uh, little scary, right? <laughs> my friend unplugs it when he's not using it. He just says, I'm playing it safe. So what are we going to find in your book? I think you've alluded to a lot of things in there, and how can we get it? Yeah, so in my book you'll find um, a story quest that, that you know sort of introduces kids to a bunch of kids, hopefully like them, who are trying to become guardians of AI, and they're, they're learning in each chapter um, different lessons about AI. So, you know, what, what are some of the things that they, they need to learn? And that's part of their, their quest, right? Um, and then at the end of each chapter, there's a handful of hands-on activities that kids can do. Sometimes it's role play, like I mentioned, it's scavenger hunt. Sometimes it's, you know, sometimes it is something to do on the, the computer. But these are meant to be relatable to, to help pull through the lessons in each chapter. And then um, the book also includes a number of different prompts, so to teach kids how to use AI in a smart way, in a good way, to help with school or to help with um, extracurricular activities or to, to talk to a family member, um, to become kid entrepreneurs. So these are the written questions that they can put into an AI engine, of course, with parent supervision and participation, um, to, to help them with different things. And then there's a glossary that really covers 60-plus terms. Um, honestly, I think this is very helpful for adults as well because yeah, it explains, right, how to understand something like quantum computing. Like, what does that mean if you compare it to Legos or video games or baking cookies? 
Um, and so that was really, really the, the goal of the book was to sort of package up a set of resources, but add a story that would allow kids to see themselves and understand their responsibilities and the incredible power uh, of AI, but also the incredible sort of, you know, un- unintended consequences that could, uh, could creep up if we're not responsible. Well, I think it's something that uh, kids and adults can uh, certainly, uh, you know, enjoy and uh, learn because uh, what you're saying for kids sounds like something that would help me out with it very much as well. So, Angela, the uh, the book Quantum Kids, Guardians of AI, where can we get your book? You can find it on Amazon uh, in both a print and electronic format, and there's also a free parent guide um, that that is available um, at, if you go to Amazon, it's in the, the description, the content. So if you're just looking to understand as a parent or, you know, just as a human, what AI would look like, I did some simulations, for example, uh, in that parent guide to help them understand, hey, if my kid asks AI a question about bullying in school, what is AI going to say back to them? So I think, you know, as parents and grandparents, we can also become responsible AI owners. So there's a free parent guide available there, and the book is available on Amazon. Mm-hmm. Okay, I want to squeeze in one quick question. Somebody waiting. Hi, you have a question for my guest. Yes, I do. What is it, please? Oh, first of all, I'd like her to slow down. What's her name? The book title. Is Angela, Angela Radcliffe is her name. Radcliffe? Radcliffe. And the book is Quantum Kids, Guardians of AI. Okay, Quantum Kids. Guardians of AI. Okay. Okay. Quantum kids. What's the next thing? Guardians of AI, oh, artificial intelligence. Mm-hmm. Quantum guardian of AI, and where do you get it? Just go on Amazon. Is that right, Angela? Just go on Amazon. Just go on Amazon and give it a search. It's been on a couple of their bestseller lists, so it should pop right up. I think she should be on again and talk a little slower. All right. Thank you very (laughs) much. Bye. All right, Angela. That's a good last-minute plug for the book. Yes, thanks so much for that. I really appreciate you having me on today, Stu, and for all your insightful questions. Uh, This is certainly a topic we've all got to stay on top of. Yeah, that's all all I'm I'm hearing. I I might as well dig in and try to learn more about it with you. So thank you for being with us. Take care. All right, Angela.